0: Welcome to Puck It, We'll Do It Live, our pre-recorded Minnesota Twins podcast. It is Thursday, May 7th. Zach Pierce here, managing editor of The Athletic Minnesota, joined as always by Dan Hayes, our Twins beat writer. Dan, how are you today?
1: I'm good. Um, just uh, waiting for baseball, but doing good. How about yourself, Zach?
0: Uh, waiting for everything, uh, baseball included. Yes, for sure. Sure, but we're uh, we're hanging in there. Hope you are all as well. We are excited for today's show. Uh, we have a very, very special guest calling in in just a few minutes. He is the manager of the simulated Minnesota Twins. Aaron Gleeman will be here to talk about the fake 2020 Twins season that he is currently uh, ro- rolling out on the Athletic. Dan, it's been a, uh, it's tough to call it a roller coaster start for the team. They are in first place and have been, I think pretty much the entire way so far this season, but there have been several questionable moves by the first year boss.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. They definitely could be better. I mean, come on, look at that, that roster. It's been good though. you know, he's, he's handled himself fairly well. Uh, he, he definitely is, uh, aware of, uh, some certain beat writers criticisms but whatever I mean you know we won't bring that up too much but yeah there there have been some very questionable moves
0: it was a uh, questionable move to put him in charge in the first place uh, firing Rocco Baldelli after a season in which he won AL manager of the year was a, just a bizarre decision by the twins front office but Hey, I don't. I don't make those calls, uh, and so I, I believe we actually have him now. My producer is telling me so. Uh, Mr. Gleeman, are you there? I am. I am here. Welcome. Thanks for calling into the show. Uh, heck of a start for you. Uh, I think nothing but good things. There's absolutely no criticism anyone whatsoever could uh, levy at this point. Twins are in first place in the American League Central. Uh, 26-14 and is their record, Cleveland nipping at their heels two games behind. But uh, I think you have to be pretty uh, happy with your start overall, Aaron.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think it would take a complete maniac to complain about a first-place team 40 games into a season for a rookie manager. Fortunately for me, uh, there is one complete maniac uh, on the beat that is covering my my rookie season. But I would say, you know, that's been the biggest challenge. You know, a lot of people say bullpen management's going to be tough dealing with roster moves but for me it's been you know the the press core uh i won't name any names but there's there's you know probably one maybe one or two but really one person who's given me a lot of trouble and and the standings don't seem to really have much impact on the on the criticism but you know that comes with the job The the millions of dollars that the polad family's paying me to to manage this fake team the millions of fake dollars that's that's all part of it
0: frankly it's amazing that you even were willing to come on the program knowing that that Person in question is uh, is right here with me, uh, <laughs> yeah. Dan Hayes, who has been has been merciless in his commentary so far, and and uh, that did not change this week when Aaron made the questionable decision to send Randy Domick back to the majors despite a sparkling debut to the season to uh, add on to his great finish to last season as well. But Michael Pineda came back a roster spot. Had to be had to be uh sets or had to be changed. And Aaron, talk us through why you decided that Randy Dobnick and his two point whatever era was not worth staying on the team right now.
2: 2.51. So if you round up, it's it's you know basically three, <laughs> and once you round up to three, it's basically <laughs> five. You know how that works. But uh, here was my thinking, which was shredded uh, in Dan Hayes's column, but we can get to that. But my thinking was basically. You have, once Pineda returns, the plan all along was whoever wins the fifth spot, and it should be noted, by the way, that I'm the one who chose Dobnik to get the fifth spot coming out of spring training. Uh, and whoever got no the brainer, fifth but spot... congratulations. a oh, all right, but congratulations. Uh, all right. You're right. But once Pineda returns, you have five veteran guys on guaranteed contracts who can't be sent to the minors, and none of whom are going to react particularly well to being demoted to the bullpen, whereas Dobnik... Not on a guaranteed contract, has minor league options remaining, uh, can be stashed at AAA, like you mentioned. Uh, I, they, I think I'll, I'll say this for Dan. He raised a, a decent point saying, well, why send him to AAA? Why not at least leave him in the major league bullpen uh, as your long reliever? And I did think about that, but my thought process there was I want him starting every fifth day and throwing 85 to 100 pitches every fifth day so that when he is needed again as a starter, he's ready to jump immediately back
1: into it. Look, I'm going to go with a little bit of a deeper question here. Yeah, I want to start on a deeper level, uh, because Dobnak aside, um, how much influence did Billy Haywood have in your decision (laughs) to name yourself the manager the year after Rocco Baldelli won 101 games? I mean... What what did you think? Uh, what did you see with Rocco's performance in two thousand nineteen, and think you know <laughs> I could do better?
2: Well, I mean, once they they offered me the dual role of, of front office, I'm basically doing the role of three people, all of whom got incredibly positive reviews uh, last season: uh, Thad Levine, uh, Derek Falvey, Rocco Baldelli. And for some reason, they said you want to do the job of all three now. I'm a lot cheaper than the three of them, but yeah, it is. It is a a little, it's out there to make that decision. But yeah, yes, I, w- I watched a lot of, a lot of baseball movies. Uh, watched all major leagues, but yeah, Billy Hayward, I really that gave me confidence to say like, well, I'm at least a lot older than him, um, and, and at least I can take that job. And you know what? They eventually warmed to him, and that team had success. So now, what they didn't really get into in that movie too much was the the local the beat reporters giving him that much trouble it was mostly like his relationships with the players so far these these pretend virtual players have all been great to me
1: except for Domnack. I mean, when he comes back he might he might not be so pleased but yeah um have you at all mentioned said out loud to yourself that uh you know an Aaron Gleeman needs to be able to speak his <laughs> mind at all
2: <laughs> yeah, I do have a lot of different mantras that I say to myself from the manager's office. I do I say the serenity now every time right before I open up the door for the beat reporters to come in uh, from Seinfeld. I've been going with that pretty much after every game. Uh, yeah, I mean here here's what I'll ask. I can turn the tables on Dan and ask him a question. If I would have, I mean, you have to agree that none of the veteran guys could have been demoted either to the minors or to to the bullpen, in which case. It's really just your criticism is really just the difference between Dominic being a long reliever in the majors and continuing to start at AAA, which I would say that's valid, but also like odds are he's going to be back in in within a month anyway and starting again. It's I mean, this is sort of the situation that we knew and also Rich Hill is going to be coming back at some point, in which case there's going to be an even more difficult decision to make with the bullpen. So I would tell you from a criticism standpoint, save a few of those bullets for when Rich Hill comes back, because then we have six veterans for five spots, plus Dobnek potentially still at Triple it
1: Hey, uh, I would just say to you, you've never had an uh, <laughs> editor breathing down your neck for rip- scathing copy every yeah. week, yeah. needed to tear apart a fake manager on a fake baseball season. I don't know if you can understand the fake pressure that I'm <laughs> on to keep fake paychecks rolling into my fake bank account it is difficult and uh but i I down your neck wow yeah (laughs) oh it's pretty it's pretty bad every sunday every sunday without question this email comes in and says throw your fake commentary on here now and it's it's
0: uh now (laughs) (laughs) i don't even have any i just i just copy and paste the text i don't even say anything anymore (laughs) pressure's all uh, on you buddy
1: But, Aaron, why are you so, uh, you know, we got you on the couch here. Why are you so uh, caught up in what the beat writers think in the first place? You're 26 and 14, man. You should be living it up at Brothers and, you know.
2: I love this. Now you've taken the stance of criticizing me for paying too much attention to your criticism, which is just fantastic. (laughs) Also, by the way, just to break character slightly here from Manager Gleeman, but... I'll tell you that uh, this most recent article from uh, a couple days ago, uh, my girlfriend read it and read your part, which she never reads my articles. So she read your part and she turned to me and she was like, wait, is the bit basically that he just is super mean to you? And I said, <laughs> yes, basically, yes. And she paused and she was like, oh, I like that a lot. <laughs> so yeah. And also the comments are all just basically like, yeah, rip him to shreds, Dan, drag him, Dan.
0: For anybody who's completely lost listening to this right now, uh, we should we should mention yeah. uh, we alluded to it, but Aaron is writing a series of articles on the athletic.com slash mn right now, uh, simulating the Twins' twenty twenty season since there is not a real season. Uh, he's using a, a pro is it, what's the right word is it a program is it a game Yeah, it's a it's a game. It's a game program called Out of the Park or O O T P for short. Uh, anybody can can purchase this game and and uh, simulate uh, their own baseball season in a number of ways. Uh, Aaron is trying to play the 2020 season as though he were actually in charge of the Twins, and uh, it's been it's been fun. I think we've all been pleasantly surprised with the response to the article. You mentioned the comments section, Aaron. There's a, a, a ton of <laughs> a ton of spirited commentary in there from fans, for sure. So. Uh, that is what we're referring to right now, and Aaron's team is uh, pretty well killing it. 26 and 14, like I mentioned, mentioned in first place as of uh, today. Those articles publish every Monday. And in the latest article, uh, Dan's line was that uh, – I think, Danny, you were, you were upset because Aaron said – that Randy Dobnik had one more start to change his mind about demoting him, <laughs> and you said one more—the guy with a 1.78 career ERA had one more chance to change your mind. Thomas Edison needed a thousand tries to invent the light bulb that still isn't functioning properly in your head. <laughs> you could have stopped right there. That was that was the gem of the whole yeah. of the whole bit. But
2: but he had to also compare him to Troy Aikman, which I thought uh, was which great. Is a like,
0: little lofty. It's a, it's a yeah. little lofty.
2: <laughs> but that's it, such an obscure like pull of like, ah, I need to compare him to somebody real. How about Troy Aikman? <laughs> like... <laughs> And then I also can't help but think like I have no, I do know that like members of Dobnik's family has def, have definitely seen this. I don't know if Randy Dobnik oh, yeah. himself has seen this, but I can't, like there's no chance now that whenever we do get back into the Twins clubhouse, assuming Randy Dobnik is also there, there's like no chance that I I can avoid making a joke about this to him. So now I'm just hoping he has any clue what I'm talking about when I bring it up to him.
0: <laughs> just a it new it wave of been, content. Like, it's going to be great. Yeah. It
1: is, yeah, exactly. Oh, hey, our fake, our fake uh, argument about Randy Dobnak generates real life content. That would be a little frightening, but uh, it is definitely exciting. And I will give you some credit. I'm looking at the uh, simulated season uh, that Baseball Reference is running, and the Twins are 19 and 18 and that as of uh, today. So you're uh, well ahead of that pace. Oh, so. can but you
2: even imagine what you'd be writing about me if the team <laughs> was 19 and oh my god, I would, I wouldn't even be able to look.
1: It, it, hey, the, the part that's funny is it's tough without stats because I'm just basing this off of your write-up. So when you throw one-liners out there like uh, give them one more chance and and mention it's 178 career ERA at that point, you know I'm just going to take it and run with it. So, Well, okay, uh, I'm, you're, I'm glad you'll, you'll like
2: the, the next one coming up on Monday morning. I'm going to include because it's like you're we're at the 40-game mark. Uh, so I'm going to, I'll start it with a bunch of stats so you can really dive in and, and dig for more criticism. So I'll list like all the <laughs> stats and you can, I'll put like the win probability at it and the Windsor above replacement. I'll put all that stuff. So you can really, this could be your, your best, uh, hatchet job yet.
1: I, I don't know. I don't know if I can get past that one right there. That was, that may have been the peak <laughs> of my creativity right there. So I'm just going to throw up the white flag. This is getting harder and harder, but it's so much fun. It is a good replacement for the fact that we don't get to be sitting in the press box ragging on each other. Um, yeah, thanks, uh, thanks, Aaron, for deciding to become a beat writer in 2020, and the whole world is, uh, you know, falling apart now. So can, <laughs> this is this has been so weird to go through this without baseball right now. Uh, but I think that um, it's cool to do some creative stuff and keep people like. You know, try to keep them entertained just as a little bit of a, uh, a breather from some of the stuff that's out there.
2: Zach, you mentioned that like the comments have been enthusiastic about it. And so I just want to say that we do appreciate that because like, yeah, like Dan said, this is a little bit out there. But the fact that there are at least, uh, you know, dozens of people who are really enjoying it is, uh, makes it better.
0: Uh, we've got a couple other fun things going on, uh, Aaron. We've I think we've mentioned it on this podcast before, but Aaron is going through position by position through Twins history to find the ten best individual seasons at each spot. There's a lot of interesting uh, stuff in there. Some some fond remembrances of uh, of years past. Um, Harmon Killebrew was basically the best Twins player at three different positions, which is something that maybe us, us uh, young Bucks don't don't think about too often but uh today was right field which is the the Tony Oliva show there's been a few positions where it's been pretty well dominated by by one name you can probably guess but still interesting to see some of the uh the outliers that kind of cracked into the top 10 Aaron did you learn anything particularly uh uh insightful during this exercise given that you already are a, a, something of a Twins historian I mean I definitely think the the guys from like the 60 from like early
2: 60s to to early 70s, that period, I mean, they had just so much star power. And also, I think a thing that was somewhat unique to the Twins, even now it's true, like we see it with with Joe Maurer, but they tended to hang on to those guys for basically their entire careers. And so, like you said, there are a lot of positions where you're ranking the top 10 seasons, and it's like, well, you know, Pocket could have had eight of the top 10 center field seasons, realistically. And so that makes it a little bit tricky. But, you know, I love the fact that, in the, in the comments for those, there's a lot of people who are going, oh, I, I remember watching you know, Bob Allison, and it's good to see him get a, a shout-out here. So that's been one of my favorite parts. Yeah. Like, they've had a lot of superstar great players who have their numbers retired and everybody knows about them, but they've also had a lot of guys for a three- to five-year period who were really good, and I feel like you know, highlighting some of them has been a big part of it.
1: I was going to say, uh, you can't write enough about Tony O. it uh, was a cool piece, and uh, five-time – the Yale on Hits in his career and like uh, where where is he on your uh, Hall of Fame argument he's like he almost got it a couple of years ago i think he got 11 of 16 votes on the uh yeah. the veterans committee and needed one more and so clearly he is uh, right on the edge of being a hall of famer i would probably say he's in just based on those numbers obviously the health played an issue but i mean what uh, what uh where where do you think he ranks on that argument
2: it's tricky because like I, th- I feel like a lot of players like Sandy Colfax, for instance, get sort of extra credit when it's clear that health ended a period of dominance for them. And with Oliva, I mean, he just had horrible knees and then he had a knee injury that basically ended it. Uh, but then he hung around for like three or four years as a designated hitter. And I think people view that differently than a guy who had to like immediately shut it down. Uh, for an injury whether it was Kirby Puckett or Sandy Koufax or somebody like that and so I think that hurts him but if you're if you're a someone who focuses on peak value yeah like you said I mean he had like six seven eight years in a row there where he was the best hitter in the American League basically and probably one of the top three to five hitters in all of baseball he was a good defensive player great arm in right field so yeah if you're a, if you're a peak person over a sort of Uh, Cumulative value person, then I I do think he has a legit case for the Hall of Fame. And then you know when they're letting in, not to be too mean to a ex-White Sox that Dan's going to get offended by, but like Harold Harold Baines, uh, that opens the door for a lot of guys to say like, well, why isn't Tony Oliva or you know fill in the blank with your personal favorite in there? But yeah, I mean I would say he's borderline, but I absolutely understand why Twins fans are are very passionate about why he should be in. Hey
1: Harold Baines, born. Or drafted the day I was born, uh, June seventh, really? 1977. Fun fact of the program. I told him that too a couple of years ago, and he shook his head.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're basically saying, Yeah, you're very old, Harold. How's it going? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: That's nice of you, Dan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing that we're supposed to be doing, and I believe Dan has been on the clock for about a week now, but we're going to, the three of us are going to draft uh, an all time a twins team. All three of us will have our own team and then we're going to figure out some way for for either readers or listeners to judge it or maybe we'll find somebody with from twins past to take a look at the teams and and, uh, tell us which ones are the best but um, Dan has the number one pick and we're all just anxiously waiting for him to be ready to to lose badly in this draft
1: (laughs) we know I'm going to lose badly in this draft I have zero uh, deep twins knowledge you guys are going to be you know drafting like utility guys that I've heard of and not being familiar with. And, but uh, I'm going to get crushed on it. I, I think starting nine wise, I'm going to hang tough, but uh, you know, on the depth part, I'm going to get rocked, but we'll get there. Uh, I got caught up on a few projects this week um, and definitely have not done my uh, draft uh, Intel quite yet. So we'll get there. Uh, but you know, we all know who the number one pick is going to be. I mean, that uh, that one's pretty obvious. Do we? I just have to, we do. We do. I don't do. know. Hmm. Oh. Yeah. Oh, it's, uh, yeah. No, do you, no, you want to no, reveal I'm it?
2: Not... Why don't you reveal it here? Make, <laughs> your, make your make your. You're on the clock. Yeah. You can make. it. I well, like I,
1: I got to talk to. We got to talk to his agent about getting him signed uh, yeah. and, and work out the deal. <laughs> um, but uh, I sources have indicated that a 5 center fielder from Chicago will be uh, oh, selected. yeah, the Chicago.
2: I should have known that. Yeah,
1: and I'm not even. I'm not even a Chicago. Uh, like I've only been here for like seven and a half years, coming up on eight years. So it's not like the Chicago part's huge. It's just I know where it's from, so I wanted to say it.
0: But I think that's what's going to always... make this. That's going to make this so interesting. Is that there? Really, at every tier of this draft, there's going to be options. Like I, I don't think there's a clear cut number one. Kirby's definitely the fan favorite number one. But if we were doing the Timberwolves, say, like, whoever gets Kevin Garnett is going to win the, right. the draft. But here, you know, there's, there's a, a very quality top 10 that none of us would be disappointed to have. And then when you drop down another tier, it's the same story. So I think these teams are going to be competitive across the board unless Dan just screws up his draft so badly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, Aaron's but, right. I, that, that early era, um, the 60s and especially – there are so many great players from that. There are so many great players from the mid '80s when they were started their World Series run. There's so many great players over. You know, it's funny they've had some times when they've been, as you guys know, a horseshit franchise. But overall, they've had some times where they've been amazing. The the talent that they've had over the course of several different runs. I mean, come on, Byron Buxton. You think about what what he is capable of and. I'm sure he's going to be one of our three starting center fielders and you know he might not be drafted till 10th, 12th somewhere in there. Uh, who knows? Who knows where like, it just depends on what we all value. Uh it's going to be fun to kind of do this over the next it's going to take a while. I'm not going to lie guys. I'm going to drag my feet on this since there's no clock, since there's no uh clock to miss my pick. Jeez. Mm,
2: I was gonna. I was just gonna ask if we can skip his pick, like they did the Vikings in whatever the year that was for the <laughs> NFL draft, if he doesn't submit yeah. his pick on time. But
0: yeah, we might have to have a clock just to get him moving a little bit on this. We have to finish before the season starts, whenever that is.
2: Yeah. We'll we'll yeah, get there. I've, we'll get there. I've also been, I've been working behind the scenes with Arif Hassan just on the mock draft circuit for our three team draft, and I've been oh. you know, I've been making <laughs> him come up with a new mock draft. We're on twenty two point zero on the mock draft <laughs> front, but now that he's he, he'll make his adjustments <laughs> now and, and slot Kirby Puckett into that number one spot. It's like it's like Joe Burrow a little bit, I guess, where he can just uh, then let the domino effect take from there. But yeah, 23.0 on the mock draft. I think it's be, uh, what I'll look forward to tomorrow so I can get a head start on strategy.
0: Dan, you yeah, mentioned well, a couple other – go ahead, Dan.
1: Oh, no, no, we'll get it done. I was going to say, I think we have till July 1 until uh, this all starts. That's my guess, by the way, for when the season starts. So we'll get it done.
0: Dan mentioned a couple other – Projects. It's not all fun and games around here. Uh, we do some serious stuff still here. Not that that's not serious, but it's just the fun kind of serious. Uh, this weekend had a awesome piece on a gentleman by the name of Wayne Hathaway, aka Big Fella, uh, who unfortunately died last week. He was a longtime Twins clubhouse attendant, sort of a, a jack of all trades in their minor leagues, and then ultimately with the, with the major league team, but. Dan, I would say probably the most uh, uh, endearing and, and uh, memorable thing about the article is what a character he was, uh, and his knack for basically giving players constant shit all the time.
1: Uh, he, I feel like I've adopted that with uh, out of the park uh, telling Aaron how good yeah. he isn't. But uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. I I only encountered Big Fella in his uh, his last summer in 2018. And and he was he had definitely slowed down by then a little bit, um, but he's still really sharp. And it's funny because when you, I I can see like if it's a new guy not understanding him, because here's this little five foot five dude, 120 pounds, big old mustache, high pitched voice, and he's telling people how bad they are. <laughs> but he had done this with the twins since 1962. And he did it in the minor leagues from like 1962 into the late 90s. And so imagine the amount of players that came through his door. And basically he was the director of team morale or player morale. And he's there to tell you how good you ain't, according to like everybody. And so everybody had passed through his through Wayne. And they'd they'd seen him. And and it was so fun to hear all these guys with these amazing stories. And that's one of the nice parts about all this, is just asking some of these You know, amazing players who've had great careers about this guy who they encountered in the minor leagues, you know, and and how much of an impact he had made on them. And Jock Jones said it. he's like, you know, I hated him. I really hated him. He's talking about coming from SC and how he was trying to adjust the pro ball. And this little guy with this big beard and glasses is talking trash to him. And he didn't understand it. And then he realized he talks trash to everybody. And basically, if he does talk trash to you, that means he cares about you. And and you know, probably twenty years after he first encountered him in the minors, uh, he's he's just going on and on about how much he loves him. And that part's cool. The all I'll, it was a lot of fun to talk to people. Talk to Terry Ryan. Talk to Ron Gardenhire. Steve Little. Like there were so many people to, to if you asked 30 different guys you would have got 30 different stories and it was it was fun to go over the I'll just give my real quick version of my favorite one which was there was apparently and I looked him up uh, because I couldn't believe it but in the uh the 70s and 80s there was a guy that went around blowing himself up who called himself Captain Dynamite and and no kidding he was arrested for pyrotechnic stuff <laughs> like there's the Florida article about this guy being arrested for having explosive devices and he was a uh, one of those minor traveling minor league acts, and he, you know, so he blows himself up basically at second base after a game when he's invited, and uh, so this particular night, you know, he, he injures himself, and it's you know it's a little bit, but it's not terrible apparently. But he's bleeding, and uh, and big fellow was not only the clubhouse attendant and the equipment manager at the time, he was also the team trainer, and apparently he races out to second base because they call for the trainer they need his help and he gets out there and he sees blood and he passes out and i guess they dragged big fella off the field they carried big fella off the field and and captain dynamite was able to get up and walk himself off the field so um like hearing steve little tell that story hearing Gardy tell that story they couldn't stop laughing and that's what this guy brought to the team for 50 plus years um it, it, it sounds like he was a, a pretty amazing guy and like I said I only got the one year of him but it's it's fun to see fans recollect over it and and their memories of this guy and and players um it it's definitely someone you could tell that the twins really uh appreciated and loved and um they're sad to see him go but I think they they want to kind of honor wanted to honor him and they did a pretty good job just telling some amazing stories
0: to give you an idea just how long he was around the Twins, I, while I was editing the story, you had a quote, Dan, from Terry Ryan, who's the 66-year-old former general manager of the Twins, talking about how uh, big fellow was rubbing down his arm one day, and he rubbed down the wrong arm. And I, and I said, did you mean, was this supposed to be a quote from a pitcher? And you told me, well, Terry Ryan was a pitcher in the 1970s in the twins organization and that's what he's referring to is a story from the 1970s uh just an incredible career and um you know a guy who was able to win over a lot of people in the twins organization lastly Danny, you have another one that i believe is still slated to be on the site on thursday do you want to tee that one up quickly
1: yeah it may be it may be late thursday um but dave winfield uh his 3000th hit uh it came on september 16th 1993 at the metronome there was a terrible crowd because the Twins were 20-plus out. The A's were 20-plus out at the time. Vikings were in full force. Middle of the week, schools in session. There were like 7,000 people in the building. So the Twins decided to sell these, uh, these unused game tickets. And they ended up doing it a couple times after that. There were like five major historical moments that occurred in the Metrodome. Eddie Murray, Cal Ripken's 3,000th hits, uh, Cal Ripken's 2,000th game. Um, Frank Thomas's 500th home run. For all of these, the Twins sold unused game tickets because they knew that there was sort of a collector's market. And I, living in Northern California at the time, saw the Chronicle a week later, and they said the Twins are selling tickets to this. And I bought a ticket. I was going through uh, my memorabilia box that day uh, as part of a, a another project that we're doing for next later this month. But um, I purchased one of those unused tickets, and so I decided to find out how it came to be. And uh, so we're going to dive into that. I talked to a couple people in the front office, Dave St. Peter, Scott O'Connell, who retired, um, and and also Dennis Eckersley, who gave up the hit, and Dave Winfield. Um, So we're going to kind of have a a story looking at the 3,000th hit moment and uh, why the Twins sold these unused tickets, and another
0: sort of fun one to dive into and, and find some things out. Awesome stuff. Uh, that's all we have time for today. Puckett will do it live. Thank you very much, Manager Gleeman. That was fun. I appreciate you coming.
2: Yeah, I just want to say, by the way, even though I'm supposed to, like, rip Dan back, I just want to also say that his article last week about the Twins' uh, 0-2 win over the A's was, like, one of my favorite things I've I've read in a very, very long time. It brought back... I remember watching the last game of that series in my dorm room at the U of M, and I just thought that was an awesome article, too. So, uh not that I'm trying to butter Dan up for future <laughs> uh, criticisms of my managing, but the people should know that while he's much, much too harsh on fake managers, he is uh, exceptionally good at, at writing about the twins.
0: Way to take we'll, the high road. We appreciate uh, it.
1: Can't wait to rip you next time. It's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> this is definitely getting in there.
0: So. All right. Stay safe, everybody. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening.